So uh, welcome again to Valley Baptist. I want to say a quick thank you to Pastor Gunnar for letting me preach. Um, especially thinking of when you talk about how you still tend to see guys my age through the lens of a Navy SEAL instructor. That means a lot to me that you're willing to do that. So thank you. Also, a thank you to Pastor Ben. He was hugely helpful mentoring me through this whole thing. Had a lot of hours with him, and uh, we'll see how it pays off. So, uh, I also, I wrote out pretty much this whole sermon. So, I, if it makes sense, and it sounds like I'm just reading it, that's why. And if it doesn't make sense, that means I kind of left the text a little bit. With that, let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. You are perfect and mighty personal, creative, and you love us. We love you, Lord. Help us to love you more. God, thank you for your word. Please please let us hear your message today. Make our hearts and heads ready to receive it. Amen. Matthew 10, verse 41 through 11, verse 1. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever, in the name of a disciple, gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. When Jesus had finished giving instructions to his twelve disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. God, thank you for your word and the ability to study it. Let us learn from the words you spoke through Jesus, your son, and help us understand the truth in them. Amen. Okay, so some initial thoughts. Um, when Gunnar taught a few weeks ago on Matthew 10, verse 7, um, we saw that Jesus told the disciples to go preach the gospel. Uh, his words were, and his command was, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But now, later in the same chapter, chapter 10, Jesus has just finished telling the 12 disciples that they're going to suffer all kinds of persecution and troubles and trials. Um, they'll be hated by all because of his name. In verse, verse 22. Uh, he tells them that people of every background are going to reject them, even those closest to them. As we see in verse 21, where he says, brother will betray brother to death and father his child. And uh, they'll rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Matthew 7:14 says, the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. It's kind of a, it sounds like it's kind of a downer, but Jesus doesn't give them this clear command to preach his name and then leave it at that. He doesn't tell them no one's going to listen. At the end of chapter 10 now, the section we're looking at today, he sends them off by encouraging them about those that will listen and about the reward for those that are faithful to teach. Uh, so what exactly happened on the disciples' mission after he sends them out? Again, after this uh, verse 41, 42. Matthew doesn't really say. Uh, Luke and Mark, their account, they basically just say they did in fact go out. And when they came back, they told Jesus everything. But I love the story here is centered completely on Jesus. All the details that Matthew does give us, and Matthew is one of those who went out. So there'd be, like you'd think he'd give us something, but he doesn't. All the details are about Jesus and how we relate to him. As a side note, um, verse 1 of chapter 11, I noticed the words teach and preach together. I wondered about the difference between teaching and preaching because I hear them in Christian circles used pretty much interchangeably. Um, seven other times in the New Testament they're mentioned together in the same verse, so I figured there must be something there. In the simplest form, it seems that preaching is what Jesus would do to call people to himself, and teaching is what he would do once they got there. Um, when he's teaching, he's usually in 
a temple or a synagogue, but when he's preaching, he's proclaiming the gospel everywhere. It's a minor distinction, but I thought it was interesting. Verse 41 begins with, He receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. I don't know what image is brought to your minds when you hear the word prophet, but um, I don't think he's speaking of a long-haired, bearded, crazy guy that goes about in Iraq shouting about the end of the world. Well, maybe. But um, in this case, Jesus is calling his disciples prophets. He's telling them clearly that they will be bringing God's message to people. This is the context they would understand a prophet in when he's speaking to them. Uh, prophet, uh, the prophets of old. The message they're called to bring is, going back to verse 7, is to preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus also commanded us to take God's message to people. Matthew 28:19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We can't make disciples without telling the gospel story. And when we spread the gospel, we are also prophets, bringing the good news of salvation to people. Isaiah 52, verse 7 says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation, and says to Zion, Your God reigns. Isaiah speaks of praising God and bringing happy, good news of salvation and peace. In uh, Romans 10, verse 13 through 17, Paul quotes Isaiah when he says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of the gospel, of good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. A prophet is someone who brings the message of God, the message of the gospel, to people. We can all be prophets in this sense. And here are some helpful hints. Tell other people about Jesus. Tell them what he did on the cross. Tell them about what he's doing in your life. Personal testimony is powerful. If I just sit here and talk about this Jesus that can help you and help you through this life and give you eternal hope for the future beyond this life, that's all well and fine. But if I can nail it down to something that's happening right now in my life, that's powerful. Um, don't start a cult. <laughs> Stick to the Bible. Remember that all scripture is inspired by God. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16. And don't start a cult. Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy, but he was himself a prophet. He told us what God's will was, and he showed us how God's plan of salvation was to come through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. When we take the message he has given to us, we tell others about it. We are also prophets delivering God's message. In this verse, Jesus uses the word prophet because of the emphasis on the message the disciples were carrying. The second, part of, the second part of verse 41 says, He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man receives a righteous man's reward. Jesus speaks of the righteous man to speak of the way the disciple lives out his life. This is not our own righteousness. Romans 3 verse 10 tells us, There is none righteous, not even one. 
The good news is that Jesus told us in Matthew 9:13, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Instead of having our own righteousness, God attributes righteousness to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6, verse 11 and 12, to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and make the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We pursue righteousness by pursuing God. When we do this, Psalm 23, verse 3 says, He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The word righteous appears 135 times in the book of Psalms and 619 times throughout the whole Bible. The number is not that important, but it does show an important, it's an important theme throughout Scripture. We are called to righteousness. God will restore our souls and guide us in paths of righteousness when we follow him. We should constantly follow him. His presence in our lives is the only thing that brings true righteousness. Jesus calls us righteous because he made us righteous, and we have no righteousness of our own. Moving on to verse 42. Here... It says, and whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Uh, Jesus tells the disciples that anyone, if anyone shows even the smallest kindness to them because of who they are as Christians, very important, that one shows he is a Christian and already has Jesus in his heart. Um, here Jesus calls the disciples little ones to show again the position they have in God's kingdom. We are God's kids, and we have no power except through the Father. Mark 9.41 gives us the parallel of this verse. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly, I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Mark also tells us in verse uh, 36 that Jesus is actually holding a child while he's telling us, uh, kind of making a point of when he says little one. In the, in the Mark account, this is showing us the the least of the kingdom. The children, they didn't have any rights except through their father. Again, Notice the phrase, he shall not lose his reward. When Jesus says he shall not lose his reward, he's not saying that the reward can be lost. He's saying that because they now have it, it cannot be lost. They can't lose it because they now have it. Uh, a, a eternal, the reward is eternal life. And an eternal life that can be lost was never eternal from the first place. It, uh, it's kind of self-explanatory. Jesus now says, disciple. Even if you don't think you're a prophet, boldly proclaiming the word of God, taking it to other people, other nations. Even if you don't think you're a righteous man, living your life in such a way that leaves no doubt that you're a follower of Christ, ordering your, your work, your your interactions with others in such a way as to show this, you are still a disciple if you follow Jesus. And Jesus says here that the smallest act of kindness towards another disciple because of who they are as a Christian is enough to show that you have part in the reward. Story. At one camp this summer, I had three disciples. Ricky, Jesus, and Skyler. They're actually my campers. 
Jesus and Skyler were both nine, and Ricky was 11. They followed me quite a bit because we do all the activities together at camp. So I'm with them pretty much the entire week, nonstop. There's a couple like hour breaks in there. Um, on Wednesday night, Jesus started acting strangely as we were settling down the cabin with other uh, campers and counselor. One other counselor in the cabin, uh, so a total of six campers and two counselors. He had taken his nighttime meds, like which were likely prescribed to help him settle down for bedtime and also probably take care of some um, behavior problems. But my best guess is he stayed up a bit too late after taking them, so the meds started doing their thing before he was asleep. He was acting like a little demon. I'm not exaggerating. I had to physically restrain him so he wouldn't hurt himself or the other campers. I was talking to Jesus the whole time to try and calm him down, but with no results. The other counselor, Mark, had already gone down to get the director, um, who I think had already left for home. So I was on my own with all the kids, and little Miguel, also in the cabin, uh, started to have a meltdown because he couldn't understand why Jesus was doing this. So uh, Ricky, my other camper, saw what was going on and started trying to use everything he learned from psychology on his last visit to his therapist, uh, which basically entailed describing Miguel's fears to him um, as being triggered by some past event and then uh, trying to describe what kind of event it might have been. Real helpful. Then I started praying out loud. And then Jesus spat on me. He must have had practice because he got the whole side of my face. But uh, here's the cool part. So I stopped Ricky. Again, I'm still holding Jesus. I stopped Ricky and I said, Ricky, yes, Miguel did have something bad happen to him in the past. That's probably why he's here at this camp, camp for kids in the foster care system. But there's only one person that can truly redeem that. Who is that? You see, I had had this conversation with Ricky earlier that day. Ricky was a brand new baby Christian. Ricky stopped for a moment and said, Jesus. I said, right on, Ricky. So who should you be talking to right now? Ricky put his hand on Miguel's little shoulder and prayed from his heart that Jesus would calm Miguel's heart down and help him to get to sleep. I could not have done it better. In fact, I couldn't have done it at all because I was busy holding Jesus. That's discipleship. Ricky got it. Ricky was now a disciple of Jesus. And I was able to coach him a little bit, but he already knew who to talk to. He was already discipling Miguel, teaching him about God's love. Oh, and Skylar slept through the whole night. He didn't, he didn't see anything. So, Looking back on the passage, what does it mean to do something in the name of somebody? Uh, again, uh, a righteous man... In the name of a righteous man, a prophet, in the name of a prophet. It means to do it because of who they are by their power. Back to Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, where Jesus tells his disciples to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. He's essentially telling them to baptize because of who God is, by his power, because of who he is. Uh, so what is the reward? A prophet's reward, a righteous man's reward. The reward that they won't lose. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12, during the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
This reward is not fire insurance, a way to avoid burning in hell, but it's also not a carrot on a stick, leading us on to do the right thing so that everything is cool after we die. The truth is that most of the reward we will not see until our body dies and God gives us a new body, version 2.0. But we get some of the reward right now. Yeah, yeah. We get some of the reward right now, as soon as we trust in Jesus. We get to chill with Jesus and serve him. We get to fellowship with other believers. We have eternal hope and peace. That start, starts right now. We don't wait till, uh, till after we die. Again, it's not fire insurance. It's not carried on a stick. This is what we were created for. This is the reward we were made for. God formed us from the beginning with this desire for him. It's innate. It's built in. There's a hole in us that needs to be filled, and Jesus is the only one that can fill it. So when Jesus gives us this reward, he's giving us himself, and he's giving it for eternity. The reward is eternal life with Christ. Another story. So I volunteer at the community church Awana Club every week on Mondays. Um, I work with the Sparkies, the kids K through second grade. I have a couple of different jobs there. I'm a I'm the games leader, so I get to lead about 40 different Sparkies in uh, about a 30 minute game time. Uh, then during handbook time, I listen to the kids recite verses, and I help them memorize those that haven't don't come prepared with a verse. But probably my most important job at Awana is helping the kids understand what these verses mean. And for the Sparkies, the Sparks' key verse is John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. They have to memorize this verse before they can get their little red vest and become a Sparky. So I have to teach eternal life to kids as young as five, some of whom have never heard of Jesus. The way I explain it, First, I explain what life means. God created people to have a life in two ways at once, a spiritual and a physical life. Our bodies are alive, but we also have a spirit that comes alive when we believe that Jesus paid for our sin and, gave our li- and we give our lives to him. The body we have now will die because of sin, but God will give us new bodies that will last forever. When we accept forgiveness for our sin, we want to do whatever God wants us to do because he is so good and kind and loving and perfect and just and wise and merciful and good. This is the God we serve. Life with him is true life. That's how I explain it to the Sparkies. Once they understand that concept, what life really is, in whatever way they can, whatever they, way they're able, then I tell them this. God promises that we will never be apart from him again. This. That is eternal life. We are dead in sin, but alive in Christ. Romans 8.10 If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Romans 6.11 Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are made alive in Christ. The emphasis on the reward, eternal life, The emphasis is on life. If you're like me, when you hear the phrase eternal life, your brain kind of seizes at the the word eternal because our our brain just can't wrap our heads around eternal. And so you miss the life part. But living forever is different than existing forever. Eternal punishment is also existence of sorts. But life is more than just existing, and we all know this. 
A rock can exist without being alive. And there are so many expressions we use, like you haven't lived until you've you know, tried this ice cream or something. This is the life. This is living. Living it up. Live life to the fullest. You need a life. Yeah, that one hurts. They show us that we understand that life is more than simply existing. Life is meant to be lived. And God wants us to live forever with him, starting now. The emphasis is on life. John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Back to the reward part of this whole passage. I want to say, heaven is going to be amazing. I've heard people say, God built the entire known universe in just six days, and he's been working on heaven for 2,000 years, so it's got to be pretty spectacular. (laughs) I don't even need to argue that point, though, because... I personally know the God who built this planet out of nothing. He filled it with every kind of life, set it in a vast universe full of beauty. He put stars in the sky that are so beautiful to look at, but then you look at the intricate system and you realize that all makes sense. It all works together. When God finished making the world, he said it was very good. Then man sinned and brought the curse on all of mankind, all of creation. Folks, Sinful man has wreaked havoc on this place for thousands of years now. If it still looks this good, imagine a place without sin. It's going to be stinking amazing. <laughs> and that is our reward. All of chapter 10 is, telling, is Jesus telling the disciples about how much trouble lies ahead for them as they spread the gospel up until this point. The enemy is trying with all his might to weaken the church and stop people from hearing the gospel at all. But once a person hears it, The sin in their own heart can still keep them from a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. After telling the disciples about all of this, Jesus tells them now about their reward. About those that will listen, that will accept the gospel. We have a great reward waiting for us in heaven. Uh, We get to enjoy some of the blessings now. Like serving Christ, living with eternal hope, having fellowship with God, other believers. But in heaven, we will enjoy these and more without the stain of sin. And everyone who accepts your message of the gospel receives this eternal reward too. So what do we do now? Going forward, forward again to Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Jesus tells his disciples, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. At the end of the day, Jesus isn't really telling us to be prophets so much as he's telling us to be disciples to follow him. And then he calls us to make disciples. Bring other people to him, that they can follow him too. I was raised in a Christian church, Christian home, Christian parents, homeschooled. All my homeschool friends were Christians. My grandparents, aunts, uncles. Everyone I knew growing up was Christian. I praise God for that. That that gave me a, a chance to learn how the Christian should live his life. And it's fine to use the lens of personal experience to help us understand people, but I subconsciously caught myself assuming that everyone I met outside of those people was also Christian. Nothing could be further from the truth. We have to deliberately spread the gospel. Matthew doesn't tell us exactly what the disciples did when they went out, but the point is they went out. They were faithful to God's command to go out and spread the word. 
They took the, guest, the message of the gospel out to their friends, neighbors, and relatives. These men would later die not only for believing that Jesus was God, but for relentlessly spreading the gospel. They did it because they loved Jesus and they wanted to be with him forever. They did it because of the reward Jesus promised them. Now it's our turn to make disciples. Let's bow for prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for the encouragement of the people that will respond to the gospel message. Thank you for the perfect example you set for us, fully teaching the word of God. I pray that every one of us in this room has a clear opportunity this week to tell someone else the gospel message, whether a close friend or somebody they've never met before. Enable us by your spirit to take the opportunity, regardless of how they respond. Give us the words to say. Give us a love for you that overflows unto other people, that makes us, makes us tell them about you. Thank you for the reward of eternal life with you. Help, help us to keep that in our minds, even as we have this love for other people and we're invested in their lives that our focus would be on you. Give us a true love for others. In your name I pray, amen.